the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back to Hour 2 this Monday, October 25th, 2021. If it's Monday and it's our second hour, Brandon J. Weikert is our guest giving us a survey and then some of the world. His book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, is going into another printing with a new introduction. He has a new book on Iran coming out. Uh, following that, Brandon, welcome back. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Thanks for having me again, as always. You bet. I was talking a lot about you this weekend, actually. Uh, I don't oh, know if, really? yeah, I don't know if your ears were burning. Uh, yeah, they were. Were they a little? Okay, well, I was. I just I, thought it was the Florida sun. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. It was the Phoenix sun. And, oh. uh, and, uh, anyway, I was telling, uh, a lot of people about, our interview last week on the uh, on the hydrosonic uh, on the hydrosonic test that China engaged in. Oh yeah! And uh, everyone who listened to it, I'm talking about five or six of my closer friends. Uh, they said that's that's to save forever. That that was just that was a tour de force you gave for everyone. I'll just oh, say well, it again you. for anyone who wants to understand what's going on with that missile test China engaged in last week, and I guess it was or the week before last. Go back to our archive on 960thepatriot.com to hear Brandon um, expatiate very on it. Kind. Yeah, you Thank betcha. You. Well, it was kind of you to do it with us. I appreciate you. Brandon. Well, I'm happy to. I, I don't know why this has been the case. I suppose because I'm old-fashioned, I suppose, that I still give a damn about human rights and civil rights. I've, I, sure. I've, there's The Sudan has been in occupied a special place in my head since the mid to early 90s. And whenever I read yeah. about it, I do speak about it from time to time. Whenever I read about it, I, uh, I, I I try to make a point about talking about it because it's one of these countries that even for a while, even for a while, some of our political opponents were kind of working on. You know, the left was yeah. kind of they they kind of they got some Hollywood types to like Mia Farrow to work right. on the on the um, on the Jean Jaweed issue in, in 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 the northern part of Sudan uh, for a while, um, but. Brandon, they're in the news again. What's up? Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, basically, uh, in 20, April 2019, the longtime Islamist regime of Omar al-Bashir uh, stood down and was replaced by this joint military-civilian uh, kind of, they call, I think it was called the Sovereign Council, and the whole aim was to transition the country uh, over to democracy by the year 2023. Uh, in September of this year, there was an attempted coup that was being blamed on elements of uh, the Islamist organizations that had previously supported uh, Omar al-Bashir. Uh, that was thwarted. And then uh, in the last 24 hours, there's been a military coup uh, in which the the civilian side of this sovereign council was basically uh, shut down. The prime minister has apparently been arrested and has been moved to an undisclosed location. 
because he refuses to acknowledge the legitimacy of the military government that just took power. I expect he will be tortured and quite brutally over the next uh, coming days. Thousands of Sudanese people have taken to the streets. Uh, they have been demanding democracy and human rights for many years. In fact, one of the reasons that the current leader of this military putsch, uh, a man with four first names, and I'm forgetting now, it's Al Boudin is his, uh, is his last name, but he has four first names. I cannot remember for the last okay. name I'll, uh, what they fine. are. But uh, I think it's Abdel uh, uh, Al Boudin. Uh, but basically, he, he, um, he has been trying to keep. Sudan away from becoming a democracy. And this guy was on the council, the sovereign council, with the civilians. This man is supposedly was a top lieutenant. He was the intelligence chief for Omar al-Bashir. This is the man who personally got Omar al-Bashir to give up his 30-year reign of terror. Um, but now he apparently is unsatisfied with the move to democracy. And so he decided now was the time to launch his military coup. Now, he insists that uh, he, his military is going to ensure the transition to democracy, as originally agreed a year ago, uh, so that they would get there by 2023. I doubt that is going to happen. And uh, what I'm looking at is a couple of things. First of all, this man, this general, trained in Egypt with the current leader of Egypt's uh, government, al-Sisi, uh -huh. uh, who is a very, very strong anti-jihadi guy. Right. Uh, he's, he's, he's somebody that, that's close to us or was for a period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, another, another element that I'm watching is the fact that Russia is trying to get a port, a naval port, in Sudan. They have extensive military connections with the Sudanese military, uh, as well as China. This General Boudin, who took over today, he did a long, he spent a long period of time as the military attaché to the Sudanese embassy in Beijing. And he, of course, is, or his country, Sudan, is a component of China's ongoing infrastructure initiative to link together Africa and Eurasia under the Belt and Road Initiative. So the Chinese, uh, they, and they certainly don't want to see democracy arise there. The Chinese have some influence here. Uh, the ones who look like are the odd man out are us. That's our, our group, the, the Americans. We're, we're the ones. <laughs> that would be uh, us, typical. yeah. Yeah, typical. Uh, we are uh, kind of not having much influence over the situation anymore, despite the fact that we send a lot of foreign aid and that, as you noted, we've spent many decades trying to inspire human rights and democracy in Sudan. Um, so all of this is to say that uh, Sudan has been a hotbed of terrorism, of Islamist activity. It had a moment of hope in the last couple of years where it looked like it might transition to a more democratic, peaceful state. But now this general's taking over. And the one thing we know about him, even more so than his ties to Islamist uh, entities, is that he is virulently anti-democratic and he is probably pro-Chinese. And this will likely upset whatever balance of power exists in our favor in Africa in the, over the foreseeable future. China has a big presence in the Sudan, doesn't it? All over Africa. Yeah. They, 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 Africa has been basically, especially eastern Africa, the side facing the, uh, the Indian Ocean, 
Uh, they've been basically colonized by China. Uh, and so China, of course, because this guy, Budan, spent time in, in, in Beijing for a while, it's believed that China's probably going to benefit in some way from this, especially because uh, this gentleman, uh, General Budan, is anti-democracy. And so they, they keep saying that while you know he's very close with al-Sisi in Egypt, where they disagree is al-Sisi is militantly opposed to any jihadist group, whereas this guy, Budan, was basically part of the jihadist government under Omar al-Bashir that was massacring Christians and and all the horrible things in Darfur. Uh, but the one thing that, that Boudin agrees with CC and the Russians and the Chinese on is a hatred of democracy. Mm-hmm. And so that's obviously going to harm America because there's this ideological fight around the world shaping up between American-led uh, democracy versus uh, kind of this Beijing-Moscow-led autocracy, the, the so-called Beijing consensus. And so it's playing out ideologically now in Africa, in the Sudan, and uh, it doesn't look good for us there right now. This, um, this, this, this kind of reminds me, I'm working off memory here, of a column you wrote. I don't know if we discussed, we may have. So it, you wrote a column a couple, maybe two months ago or so, about how leaving Afghanistan is also going to have us leaving Africa or something like that. Our debacle yeah, no, in yeah. Afghanistan spelled trouble and peril for our position in Africa. Well, what I was can, can I take a that, can I take a quick commercial break and have you hit yeah, that point? When, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. That would be great. Our guest is Brandon Weikert. Brandon J. Weikert is the author of Winning Space: How America Remains a Superpower. The new introduction coming out, and he's the author of an upcoming book on Iran as well. The Weikert is free and where you can keep up with him. The Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, the Weikert Happy to take your calls, Brandon is. We're going to cover a lot more of the world when we come right back. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. That's Jay Black from Jay and the Americans. He just died over the weekend, actually, unfortunately. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Brandon J. Weikert, he is well alive and glad that he is so to explain the world to us. Brandon, we were talking about, um, I think, if if my memory serves, a column you had written some months ago that our failure in Afghanistan is perforce going to translate into our failure through Africa. Yeah. Well, what I was yeah, what I was saying at the time was um, uh, that my concern was the way that we went into Afghanistan, or rather the way that we pulled out of Afghanistan, rather than learning any real lessons from you know in using force in a tr- to try to remake a tribal society uh, like Afghanistan. My fear was that our elites were just going to pivot and do the same kind of mission at some point soon in an African country. And the reason I said that is because there was a a famous war game conducted in 2017 or 18 uh, in which the United States military decided that they wanted a war game, what would happen if we needed to invade Mauritania. Mm -hmm. At the time, if you remember, there was all this instability from Islamist al-Qaeda elements 
uh, there. At, right now, you've got in the Sahel and, and all along Africa, you've got the rise of these Islamist, you know, jihadi groups. And so similar to the rise of al-Qaeda and other groups in Afghanistan throughout the 90s, the concern is and was at the time of this war game that uh, at some point the, one of these African-based Islamist groups is going to launch an attack on the American homeland that's going to prompt us to basically invade. And throughout the war game, basically, they concluded that a similar result to what happened in Afghanistan would happen in Mauritania, where basically we just kind of go there, hang out for several years, maybe a decade or more, and pull out finally, uh, you know, with no real victory. And so that what I was saying is we need to be very careful because Africa is heating up. Africa is probably the next big, one of the next big battlegrounds in the world. Uh, you've got Russia, China, uh, the Americans all vying now for access and, and, and competing for access there. You have this because of, because of what market markets and materiel. There's a lot. There's markets. There's minerals. Yeah, there's gold. There's absolutely, right, absolutely. Right. And then you overlay that with some of these these issues with the jihadists, uh, and you kind of have this toxic mixture possibly of of real conflict. And we know from the Cold War that great power competition. They, they, underneath that, these powers sometimes will use terrorism. Uh, you know, they'll inspire terrorism sure. or use terrorism against their ideological foes. The Soviets are famous for doing that with the PLO uh, and, uh, you know, other elements, other terrorist groups. And then, you know, the concern is now that China and or Russia, as they compete with us for access and dominance in Africa, might start doing something similar with those jihadi groups. Well, it's uh, it's it's an unfortunate thing, especially when you think about all that we did early on. Uh, I think it was the brainchild of Donald Rumsfeld. You would know you were there in opening up uh, Africa to uh, to uh, to another to another military base for us, right? Right, right. And that was Rumsfeld in 2006. One of the last things he did was sort of uh, open up uh, the AFRICOM because yep. he recognized Like a CENTCOM for was, Africa, in other words, yeah. Right, exactly. And he recognized that that was going to be the next kind of big geopolitical hotspot. And it is it is true to form that it's becoming that today. Uh, and unfortunately, as I said with Sudan, I'm very skeptical that the Americans will be able to make a significant play, uh, even though we did PEPFAR, which curried a lot of good favor, at least in the early 2000s, um, sadly, there's obviously this negative history of colonialism that, for whatever reason, is also affiliated with the United States, not just Europe, uh, in the minds of many leaders and people in Africa. And at many African states would be will, more willing to do business with China, at least initially, uh, than they would be willing to do business with us. And that's partly because of what the Ambisa Moya refers to as this problem where China likes to trade but not do aid, uh, and that tends to be better for these regimes rather than the Americans and the Europeans who come in with their foreign aid and all the, the big strings attached and we want certain changes to be made internally to these regimes when really they just want to be able to, to build up their economy and trade. Okay. And so the Chinese have kind of cracked the code, it seems, for winning some friends. But over time, China's been proven in Kenya, for instance, there's a lot of backlash now because it's proven that China really is a new colonialist. Oh, by the way, I was going to say, that's interesting. I didn't know Kenyans had that view of China. What I did know was that few countries in the world by population have a higher opinion of the United States than Kenya. We are very loved in Kenya. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, you can. Yes, but then there are other parts that correct. Have yes, right. right, right, and but yes, and the reason is because in Kenya, uh, they they had a, a explicit experience over the last yep. decade yep. Uh, with China, and so far it's not been very positive. In fact, the biggest problem the Kenyans had was during the Obama administration. Kenya is a deeply traditional Catholic society, not Catholic Christian society nowadays. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of Christianity there. And they didn't like that the Obama administration, with its foreign aid, was pushing, uh, you know, LGBTQ issues yeah. upon them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a very famous uh, meeting between the prime minister at the time and Obama, in which the prime minister turns to the former president and yells at him, "Stop imposing your social beliefs on Kenya. We're doing just fine in that department." Yeah. And if it wasn't for that. You know, I, my friend Cleo Pasquale says all the time, the best way to win hearts and minds in Africa, don't send those NGOs. Yep. You send faith-based organizations to win those hearts and minds, because that's how you're going to do it in Africa. And, 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 and sometimes the U.S. military. I had some friends who yes. were part of the 98 cleanup from the uh, from the embassy bombings. He said yes. the, the love we, we in, 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 in instantiated with the Kenyans was, was you know, heart, heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time. Yes, yes. And, and so today, you know, there are some things we can do, but we also have to be careful that we don't get sucked in to another tribal fight the way that we did in Afghanistan, the way that we did in Somalia. Uh, well, know, that, yeah. Tend to do well for us. Yeah, that's... So we, have to, we have to balance. Yeah, that's right. I, I worry sometimes... I'll have you maybe take this on on the other side of this break. I worry yeah. sometimes about what I call the roadrunner phenomenon, which is just because the coyote tried something that didn't work doesn't mean you shouldn't try it again with better management and better competence. And I wonder sometimes if, if, if we get our fingers burned and we, and, we, and we cower away just a little bit too much sometimes um, mm. when indeed the best thing we can do is to try again with a better circumstance. Uh, with a better right. management, with a better leadership. I'm not counseling that when it comes to Afghanistan, for example. But I would love your perspective on this, Brandon. When we come back, take Afghanistan. Sure. Lindsey Graham is talking about the Taliban effectively having declared war on us. Well, what does that mean? What should our posture be? If we're going to keep doing Somalias and Afghanistans and Iraqs, dare I say Saigons, I'm, I, I just assume we don't. We don't need to do humiliate ourselves again and again and lose lives. But right. but 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 is that our new template? Does Afghanistan and Somalia and Lebanon does that have can you pick that up on the other side of our break? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Brandon. Brandon Weikert is our guest, six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. We'll be right back. One of my great joys in college was watching the deadheads and the peaceniks sing and dance and gyrate to this song. Little did they know it was a war song. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. <laughs> Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. You know, this is what we deal with. Anyway, <laughs> Brandon, I posed you a kind of a tough question maybe in a sense. You know, I, I'm not willing to dismiss and I can't dismiss, because I think it was right, the notion that really was made famous by Osama bin Laden, that when the going gets tough, America runs, and that people mm -hmm. will follow a strong horse. And it's 
Of course, right. it's of course ominous when you see that we are left out of the game over Africa Absolutely. when it's China and Russia who are playing and right. making the game. And that our last foreign adventures have kind of ended up, as he said, as he said, what, what happened in uh, Somalia, what happened in Lebanon, certainly Vietnam. And he wasn't alive to see how we replicated it in Iraq and Afghanistan. So the tough question I'm asking is, are our fingers so burned we'll never pull the trigger again? And what are the conditions under which we should pull that trigger? By trigger, I mean well, deploy troops. Right. Well, my hope is that we don't pull the trigger on replicating what happened in either Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, now, in Afghanistan, you and I have talked about this, the opening six months of the war in 2001 to spring 2002 were very good. Yep. We did it right. But then rather than leave when we should have in that spring of 2002, that was the moment we started sending in this lumbering force of traditional military forces coupled with uh, contractors galore. And that's sort of when mission creep set in. I think that's the big issue with mission creep, uh -huh. where, that, where we lose sight of the original mission. Um, so we should seek to avoid inter, you know, entering into these tribal conflicts. Remember in Somalia, Somalia, the initial phase, I talked with a Marine about 10 years ago who was part of the initial task force that George H.W. Bush had sent in That's in right. the last few months That's of right. his presidency. That's right. So we're talking that, 92, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that Marine told me, he said it was a very different experience from what Task Force Ranger ended up going through under the Clinton administration. Yeah. That was Black Hawk Down. Right. Uh, he said that, you know, we went in, we had a very clearly defined mission. We were going to go in, give food to the people, and that was it. We were not going to get involved in the actual civil war. And that was one of the reasons why that period of the Somalia mission did not go badly. It went quite well. What happened was Bill Clinton came in, and he wanted to be an armed humanitarian. And he decided to send an Army Task Force Ranger and gave them this mission set of every week going out and capturing a different warlord that was engaged in the Civil War, ostensibly because he wanted to stop the violence. But what that ended up doing was, to the other players in that multi-sided conflict, America stopped being an impartial humanitarian yeah, sure. actor, right. and we started taking sides, basically. Right. So. Uh, you know, that was sort of the basis of our loss in Somalia. We, we, we lost. Um, and, and because of that mismanagement, right? I mean, because of yeah. that mismanagement, Bill Clinton felt frozen on Rwanda That's and 800,000 right. people right. died. And I think he, I think, I think he said it might have been his biggest regret in office. I think. Yes, it was. Uh, at the same time, though, our friend uh, Ed Lutwak is, um, you know, can convince that the best uh, way to, to not get bogged down in these humanitarian wars is to really not send troops, right. to not stop the fighting, because at the end of the day, it's got to be the locals who decide it. And right. so while I don't want to see the bloodshed happen, um, one of the things that China and Russia have gotten very good at in, Af in Africa, they've kind of pioneered this, is not getting involved in the domestic politics of these countries, and that makes them more attractive. Uh, to do business with rather than the United States. And so, you know, we need to figure out how to balance the equation where we don't come in too ham-fisted and turn off the locals and make a bigger mess. Because let's face it, we usually aren't very good, as we see with this drone war. We're not very good at picking out 
targets, we tend to end up killing people at family weddings. Uh, you know, it ends up creating a lot of problems. So maybe something we can look at is how do we uh, do sort of this trade, not aid on the economics approach. And maybe when it comes to military, we use smaller, lighter forces like special forces or CIA paramilitaries so we don't have this large footprint. That's what worked in Afghanistan in the beginning, small, light footprint of American troops. Interesting. Using Interesting. Yeah. Let me ask you when we come back a little bit about another place we seem to be absent, why Russia and Chinese warships teaming up to circle Japan is a big deal. Can we talk about that when we come back? Yeah, I'd love to. I thought you might want to. That's a headline I'm reading off of the web here. Why Russia and Chinese warships teaming up to circle Japan is a big deal. If I was Japanese, I'd think it's a big deal, too. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Those are eerie lyrics thinking about what Brandon Weikert and I were just discussing vis-a-vis uh, Africa, aren't they? Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. His book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, coming out shortly with a second uh, printing, uh, an additional printing and a new introduction. Brandon, headlines, uh, Russia and China... Uh, agreeing to circle Japan should make us nervous, should make the Japanese nervous, should make you nervous. Yeah, yeah, it should. I've been warned <laughs> since I worked in well, since I worked in government that this is a problem, and everybody I spoke to kind of chuckled about it. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, like you know, two 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 idiots can't find their way out of a paper bag. And I said, yeah, but as we say in Florida. Uh, even a blind pig can find a slot bowl once in a while. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you, you, you get these two powers together, and they start recognizing they have a shared threat, or they think they do in us and our allies. They're going to start operating with a lot more efficiency. Countries generally, uh, particularly great powers like China and Russia, they generally start getting better at cooperation at the military-to-military level when the need arises, particularly authoritarian powers. And right now the need, they think, is arising. What's going on is our creation of AUKUS, the Australia, UK, America, or U.S. Uh, submarine nuclear deal from last month, uh, that giving Australia a nuclear submarine, uh, that's all well and good, but nobody really thought to think what the reaction in, in Moscow was going to be. Uh, And people forget that Russia is also a Pacific power. They have a large coastline on the Pacific Ocean. And uh, Vladimir Putin, when he rose to power in the year 2000, he did a very famous car tour of of Russia. He went from Moscow and drove as much as he could and then took a train into a city called, uh, and forgive me, I think it's uh, Blago Vashim, which is right across from... um, uh, one of the largest Chinese cities on the Amur River uh, in north northwestern China. And at, and at that campaign stop, Vladimir Putin told the Russians living in this Russian Far East city uh, that, uh, you know, if I, if I become your president, I'm going to make us a Pacific power again. Because since the Soviet era, 
the Russians were obsessed with what was going on in Europe and Central Asia, and they neglected the Pacific coast. And you see this over the last decade in particular with the Russian reinvigoration of their Pacific fleet. Uh, and so that's one of the most modern parts of the Russian military is the Russian Pacific fleet based out of Vladivostok. And what all this is going on, while all this is going on, China, of course, is rising. And, of course, the United States is finally starting to get more involved in issues in the Indo-Pacific after being you know, mired in the Middle East. The problem is Moscow doesn't like the fact that we're doing these submarine deals with Australia. And so now they're trying to get involved, and they're using China, uh, bringing the two militaries together. And remember, Russia is still technically fighting the Second World War against Japan over the... Uh, over the uh, Kuril Islands, which That's are the small chain of islands north of Japan in between the Kamchatka Peninsula. I was going to say Kamchatka. Uh, I love saying Kamchatka. Yeah. yeah Isn't yeah, it great? Yeah. Great, yeah. And so uh, it's a great place in that board game risk. Uh, but uh, they, they, the Russians invaded, the Soviet Union invaded those islands in 1945 uh, when they went to attack Japan. Uh, the Allies made peace with Japan after we nuked them, but the Soviet Union and then later the Russian Federation have refused to sign the 1945 peace treaty with Japan. So technically, a state of war still exists. And Japan is, of course, getting more militaristic because of China and North Korea, but Russia now is using uh, this, uh, this AUKUS agreement as an excuse to get close to China and to keep pushing North Korea to test their own missile systems uh, to challenge both the United States and Japan. And the Americans seem to be completely oblivious to it. Still, people in Washington... This morning I was reading on Real Clear World a bevy of op-eds saying don't read too much into this Chinese-Russian agreement. Well, no, it's serious. And this is a nightmare for the United States if these two powers bring most of the Eurasian landmass under their control. Now we're talking classical geopolitical theory here. Uh, the United States is a large country, but if it has to go against the combined forces of China and Russia controlling that large land mass of Eurasia, we are outnumbered and outgunned. And so, so yeah, that's that. That's what's so darn worrisome. You wrote, I wrote it down when you said it. China and Russia are probably recognizing they have a shared threat, and 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 obviously that's true. My concern is more so that they are recognizing they have a shared non-threat in the United States of America, right, if right. that well, makes sense, right? They know yeah, we're well, weak. No, Allies, beware. Yep. Well, I mean, look, Vladimir Putin made this very clear uh, when Biden was sworn in. And the first thing Putin did, whether he was trolling or not, is irrelevant. Uh, Putin came out and was mocking Biden's yep. mental faculties. Right. Uh, the world thinks Biden's weak, even you know, irrespective of his age. The world thinks the Biden administration is weak. Just looking at Afghanistan, just looking at Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Here's a man, Biden, who came out and explicitly said last week, Yes, as president, if China invades Taiwan, I will be forced to defend them militarily, the Taiwanese from China. And then not even 14 hours later, the Biden administration, Jen Psaki, took to the press podium in the White House and said, well, we got to walk that back because actually the president misspoke. He didn't, he didn't mean what he meant, what he said. And so you're getting mixed signals. As soon as that happens, Vladimir Putin at the Valdai conference uh, with Eurasian countries, he came out as the keynote speaker, uh, and he gave probably the most anti-American speech of the last 20 years of any foreign leader, in which he excoriated the mixed messaging coming out of uh, Washington, not incorrectly, by the way, 
And he came out and he went nuts about what he thought were um, uh, basically Washington's specklessness and how it was time for Moscow to abandon whatever positive relations it had with the West because we're too fickle and just pivot and go firmly into the stability of a relationship with China to offset American power globally. And that's where we're headed. It's a new, it's a new militaristic, authoritarian, anti-American alliance. And it's been forced into creation, midwife, if you will, largely by the Biden administration and overall weakness of the American political elite, exhibited not just in the last six months, but probably in the last 30 years since the end of the Cold War. Brandon Weikert, thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for keeping us alert. I'll say it. I've said it before. I'll say it again to the degree we get out of this soup it'll be the degree to which the power brokers right now in washington dc listen to you so thank you brandon weicker thank you you betcha until next week i'm seth leapson 602 got a lot more for you but it's your show so we welcome you anytime i'm seth leapson we'll be right back You got to think about wanting to be friends with a guy who can write lyrics, living on refried <laughs> dreams, right? <laughs> kind of funny. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. I heard this yesterday with Chris Wallace the um, on Fox News uh, Sunday uh, with Rochelle Walensky, uh, the director of the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and Prevention, by the way. And that's part of the official name. And he was talking to her about vaccine mandates, and it reminded me, I won't do it, I can't do it, I'm, I'm, I'm not capable of doing it, but it reminded me of my old friend and recently deceased uh, scholar, uh, Michael Yulman, from the Claremont uh, uh, Graduate School and the Claremont Institute, saying whenever anyone proposes a policy, ask yourself how it would sound in German. And he was being a little funny, but not... Not. When Chris Wallace asked Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC and P, um, about vaccinating and vaccine mandates, she said this. Do it in your own German accent. I'm Lithuanian. I can't do it, but I'll say it in my English accent. Quote, there is a plan should these people not want to be vaccinated towards education and counseling to get people the information they need so that they are feeling comfortable in getting vaccinated. There is a plan. Should these people not want to be vaccinated toward education and counseling? Now, people will say, but the rest of it is, is, you know, to get people comfortable in getting vaccinated. Well, I understand that. I certainly do. But what have we been subject to for the past 13 months? Is that not been education? an educational effort like you've never seen an educational? If we had this kind of attention on any other issue, I'm almost certain of it because it doesn't involve our own personal bodily sovereign, the, the sovereignty of our own personal bodies and that of our children's. I'm almost certain we would have seen a dent and not a dent, but a big bite out of that problem. Think border. 
Think substance use. You name it. Think homelessness. If we had done this kind of education, so what could she possibly mean? There is a plan should these people not want to be vaccinated towards education and counsel. Does it make you comfortable to know that there's a governmental plan to counsel people who resist the government? Counsel. Counseling. My favorite T-shirt. Make Orwell fiction again. Seth Liebson will be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 